Well, hey everybody. Sorry it's been a minute since we've been in the book of Revelation, but I'm excited to get back into the study. Now, I realize that we're not doing it live anymore, but I'm hoping that these studies, you still find them beneficial. So, uh, we're going to jump right in. I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to read our passage for today, and uh, then get into the study as, um, as we engage in probably one of the most difficult passages to interpret and to understand in the entire Bible. So it's, it is a tricky one, and, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get going here. But let me start with prayer. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and insight as we read your word. God, you didn't give it to us uh, just to be mysterious to us. You didn't give it to us to trick us. You didn't give it to us to um, to lead us astray. You you gave it to us to to understand, to know you more, and to call us to obedience and faithfulness to you. And so, Jesus, I'm asking and I'm praying and I'm I'm just um, desiring that we could know and understand what you want to say to us today. Lord, I love you, and I'm so grateful and thankful for who you are and what you're doing, and that you allow us to study your word and to hear what you have to say to us. And it's in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's jump right in here. We're going to be picking up in chapter 11, and we're going to be in verse 1. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Come and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for forty-two months. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, wearing sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and these are the two lampstands that stand before the Lord on the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have the authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have authority over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street, will lie in the street of the great city that was prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, the numbers of the prophecies, or excuse me, the numbers of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in the tomb. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to the inhabitants of the earth. But after, the tree, but after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and with a lot, they stood on their feet, and those who saw them were terrified. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, "Come up here." And they went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies watched them. At that moment, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. The God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming very soon. All right. So, just as we get going and as we start thinking about Revelation chapter 11, or at least the first part of Revelation 11, 
like I said, this is the most difficult passage that that scholars think that there is to interpret. I honestly probably read somewhere up to 10 different interpretations of what this verse kind of means, of, of, of what each symbol could stand for, of what each element could be, whether it be literal reading or symbolic reading. I've, 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 I've read a lot of different sources to try to understand and, um, and to, to get to the place where I, I can comprehend it and, and explain it to you. Um, and, and the trick is, if we read this passage too literally, we miss out on all the symbolism and the illusions that are tied to it. If we read it too uh, symbolically, we could miss out on the point uh, of, of a story, of, of a moment that, that God is trying to teach us about. Um, and so, I, I honestly, I promise you, I read everything from, uh, these are two people that will come and, and will we'll live and walk in the land of Israel to um, they represent something. Now, you know how I've interpreted the, the, these passages through most of, of this book of Revelation that I, that I tend more towards uh, the symbolic nature of the apocalyptic literature. That's just what apocalyptic literature is. Um, it's symbolic. It's poetic. It, t- it is trying to tell a story by painting pictures and, and shocking you. It's, it's kind of like the the shock rock of 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 the of biblical writing, and so I tend to go that way, and I'm going to make my best effort at, at looking at this, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna do that by saying this. I very easily could be misunderstanding, but as as everything was put together, as I studied it, as it all kind of came together in my mind, I'm gonna give my best go at it. Um, and and one thing that I didn't mention that I want to make sure that I we're going to be looking at all of these different allusions to the Old Testament and New Testament that play out in this passage. So there are a ton of them that play out in this passage. And so we're going to give our best go at studying this. And this is a lot of times when you get to tricky passages, this is kind of how scholars work. They, they, they look at all the evidence that they have and they, they make their best um, interpretation of it. So um, anytime you read a, an interpretation of this passage, I promise you they're making their best guess at it. And, and there are good things and, and tricky things and things that kind of pull away from the different ways that we interpret this passage. So is, it my, is my interpretation going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But here is the best way that I've, um, or where I've kind of landed in my own mind and heart with how to read Revelation chapter 11, the first part of it. The first thing that we're going to be looking at is John and his measuring out of the temple or, or the image of the temple. Um, John is given a job here, and we see at the end of chapter 10, he's given the job to prophesy. But not just that, he's given the job to measure out. So he's called to take this reed, this measuring rod, and he's called to measure out uh, the temple as he sees it, excluding the court of the Gentiles. So, or the court of the nations, as it says. So, this is what John is called to do. Now, you may miss it. You may not understand. May not have seen it before. But this measuring is almost exactly what God asked Ezekiel to, or, or the angels ask Ezekiel to do, in Ezekiel chapter forty and Zechariah in uh, Zechariah chapter two. So, this thing that John is doing, this measuring out, is something that. Um, has been done in prophetic liter- literature before. 
So this isn't something new. It's not something new he's being asked to do. He is taking the place of a prophet from the Old Testament, and he is doing the thing that the prophet did. He's measuring out the temple. All right. In Ezekiel chapter 40, what is happening is, is Ezekiel's in exile, and the people uh, of God are in exile. The temple is destroyed, and, and what Ezekiel is doing is measuring out the temple and, and giving a blueprint almost of the temple. And the whole thought behind this and, the, and, and what scholars think that, that Ezekiel is trying to do is, is that he is trying to provide hope and, and reconstruction out of the destruction that had happened. So the temple's destroyed, Israel's exiled, and yet God is calling Ezekiel to measure out and to create plans for a temple. Now, a, a lot of scholars will take that and go, that's exactly what John is trying to do. They're going to resurrect the temple in Jerusalem someday. That's a theory and that's a thought. It could also be that he's allu alluding to the um, the temple uh, that he saw in his vision in heaven. It could be that he's referring to the temple as in the church, the people of God. Uh, essentially what we see and the idea that I want to kind of focus on is that Ezekiel's thought or Ezekiel's heart was to give hope and show restoration that God had not abandoned his people despite the destruction and the exile and the, the current state that they found themselves in. And John, I feel like, is painting the same picture for his churches. He wants them to know that despite the, the difficulty, despite the trials, despite the, the persecutions that they're facing, there is still hope. God's presence will return. God's presence will be with them. God, and, and, and so the temple is the imagery used for that. All right. The next thing that we're going to look at is this idea of prophecy and testimony. And, and this is really going to focus around the two witnesses. And these are the two witnesses. They, and, and if you look at the characteristics that define them as in Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 3 through 11, you really get the sense that they're talking about or referring to either characters in the the um, who represent Elijah and Moses, or they are Elijah and Moses because of the way that they're described. The very first thing we see is that one has the authority to shut up the heavens. This reference is to a reference to Elijah in First Kings uh, chapter seventeen, and I just want to read it. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe. And Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So this is Elijah telling King Ahab, who was a wicked king, he was saying to him, he says, By my word, God has given me the authority to close up the heavens until I say otherwise. There will not be dew nor rain except when I say so. So we see here, John painting this picture of a prophetic figure like Elijah. And then we see that the other one has the authority to demonstrate, or that they also have the authority to demonstrate plagues. Exodus chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. This is Moses standing on the river, and the first plague that's coming to uh, the, the nation of Egypt as God is trying to release and free his people. And I shouldn't say it that way because... That infers that, that God had to work hard at this. But what I mean is that, that God used 10 different plagues to work to bring about his plan of rescuing his people. So 
This was the first of those ten. So, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am, I am the Lord. See with the staff that is in my hand, and I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. The fish of the river shall die, the river itself shall sink, and the Egyptians shall be unable to drink water from the Nile. And we know that Moses goes on to, to strike the Nile, and, and this exact thing happens. And so what we see is we see these two, these two prophets that have the authority to shut up heavens, replicant of, of Israel's most famous prophet, Elijah, and then the authority to demonstrate plagues, what Moses did as a representative of God in the nation of Egypt. And so what we see here is this representative, these representatives of prophecy and of law and of, of judgment, really, where the, the plagues were judgment on Israel. Or, I'm sorry, judgment on Egypt. And so what we have here really is this idea of the testimony of God. It's the prophets and the law. Moses is tied to the law and, 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 and the exodus. And so what we're really looking at is almost this idea of the word of God, the testimony of God. And so it, it's funny that the testimony of God here um, is not stopped. Even the thing that, that they can do with their... With their um, their mouths, they breathe out fire. And, and, and so you get this picture that the, the prophets, they're declaring and they're prophesying and they have power, and yet they are, um, they're still subjected to what's going on around them. And, and so um, it, it's representing this idea that, that, that God is speaking and the words are either, um, fire does two things, right? Destroying or purifying. And so it, either way you look at it, God is either purifying in the fact that he's burning off the dross and burning off the excess, or he's burning off, um, or he's destroying by, by, by burning away. But, but the idea mostly with fire is purifying. So, <clears throat> so you see these prophets being able to speak and, and, and it bringing a purifying idea to, uh, to all those who listen. These prophets annoy the people that they're talking to because the word of God also stands in opposition to the culture uh, that that is um, popular in this time and in our day. I, I'm given a lot of information here trying to explain these things the, the best that I can. So just kind of bear with me. We'll get to the place where it kind of starts to impact how, um, how we live our lives and how we walk out of, of our ways. Okay, so then we start to see illusions uh, that these prophets come back to life after three and a half days. And so we get this picture of resurrection, and we get this picture of, of Jesus being resurrected. But in, in all of these things, and, and so with the idea of resurrection is that, that the testimony of God or the word of God cannot be stopped. These, these prophets are, are not able, though they are killed, and it looks like that they are ineffective and, and, and that they are removed. They lay there disgraced and, and dishonored. And yet, they're resurrected three and a half days later. And again, we get this idea with with the word, uh, with the with the prophets, and with the word of God, and and it, we get this idea of faithful witness. They are faithfully witnessing amidst the trial and humiliation and the struggle that they're facing. So that's come up twice now as we've kind of looked at um, this chapter. So I hope that's making sense. Pay attention to that part of it. Because as we wrap up 12 through 14, we're going to get this picture of God drawing near. And, and the picture that's painted is, is these prophets being lifted up into heaven and ascending into heaven. 
And, and really what we get, if, if you think about all the different illusions, we've had the illusion of Elijah and the illusion of Moses. Now we see them being taken into a cloud and a voice speaking and thunder rumbling. And, and so we're starting to get even more imagery and pictures brought into it. We get the picture of the transfiguration from Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. This is the place where Jesus goes up on the mountain with his closest disciples and this cloud descends, and in the cloud stands three figures, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And, and the, the, they hear this thunderous voice of, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so you get this picture of these guys being up on a mountain, and, and so you get these, the, the illusionary, the, that's not the word that I'm looking for, but <laughs> you get the illusions of Moses, of Elijah, and, and then of Jesus being up on this mountain, but you also get the picture of Mount Sinai. You get the thunder, and you get the rumbling, and the earthquakes, and all of that. Looking at Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. This is out of Exodus chapter 19 when Moses is getting ready to be given the Ten Commandments for the people. So God has come to meet his people at Mount Sinai. And, and, I, and I hope you can pick up on all the different um, symbols that are in, in the, the language that's used in this passage. We have the morning of the third day. So that correlates. Nothing that John does is, is, um, is arbitrary. Everything that John does it has purpose and it has meaning. So we see there on the third day, there's thunder and there's lightning. We're going to get to that part here in a minute. As God draws near... In this passage, uh, in 12 through 13, we see thunder and lightning. The, the earth shakes as the cloud surrounds the mountain. And, and so we have the picture of the cloud where the, the um, prophets are lifted up into. And then we have this earthquake. And, and the earthquake really is the method of destruction here in this, in this picture in Revelation. And, and what's unique and interesting is that earthquake? The earthquake is a is a form of uh, of judgment, but it's a form of judgment in the fact that it, it proclaims that God has drawn near, and so it's it's this this picture where God draws near, and the earth just kind of rumbles and reacts and shakes to the coming of the Lord, and so what's unique about this picture is um, the amount of people that are killed in this is actually the opposite of this the city of Sodom when Sodom and Gomorrah are killed. See, when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, all but a tenth of the city was destroyed. Now in Revelation, a tenth of the city is destroyed. So it's the opposite. It's less than what was destroyed at Sodom and Gomorrah. Then we look at the story of the prophet Elijah. And, and in Elijah's time, it was said that all but 7,000 Give, had given in to idol worship. But what we see here is 
only 7,000 are destroyed because of their because of their rejection of God and their idol worship. And so I find it unique and find it interesting that John uses the opposite of these two major destructions, these two major moments where where uh, a destruction moment happens and where those who um, are are were unfaithful. So it, the, what I'm trying to explain is is that. Because of the faithful witness of Jesus, the destruction is limited. Because of, of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, people are now turning back to God. Because the church was faithful in their witness of who Jesus is, they are turning. there is less destruction than what was in Sodom and what was in the time of Elijah. And so what's the takeaway for all of this? What do we do with the passage that has so many symbols and so many illusions, so many different ways of reading it. Well, we study, we discover, we discuss, and we trust. So we, we have to study it. We, we can't just ne- negate it and, and push it off to the side. We have to be willing to get in and discover and look at all these different uh, allusions to Old Testament passages and, and other New Testament writings. We, we have to discuss and talk about it. We have to be civil in our discussion and and not just be like, yeah, you're an idiot for thinking that. We, we have to be civil and have conversation about different things that we're finding and reasons why um, some findings might not be valid. Like, that's important. That's an important part of, of biblical interpretation because we help each other grow when we are, um, when we're, when we're critiquing each other and, and critiquing such a bad word, but when we're, when we're challenging each other and we're, we're bringing different aspects to the text, we're really helping each other grow in our understanding. And then we have to trust that God has something to say and that even if someone has a different perspective than what we have, that someone has a different viewpoint and, vi- and views this passage through a different lens, guess what? God might be speaking something there too. I don't believe the, the, um, the Word of God is is something that just has a ton of different meanings and we can make it say whatever we want. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when we come to moments that are tricky like this, we can humbly approach the Word of God, humbly interpret, and humbly have conversations about what we think it means so that we can truly understand what God's trying to say to us. Now, if you've been following along with my line of thought with this passage, we're going to land somewhere right here where the faithful witness of Jesus has limited and will limit the destruction and judgment that's to come. This is not something that is like, should be surprising. It's, it's the simple fact that when the church acts as the church, when they uh, love Jesus and they follow Jesus and they love each other the way that Jesus loved them, guess what? More people fall in love with Jesus and more people give their lives to Jesus. And guess what? less people are caught up in their sin and are destroyed by their sin, and less people are caught up in the judgment that's coming, the judgment of God. So what are we to do? Or what is John? do I believe that John is calling us to do? John calls us to be faithful witness in the midst of trial, difficulty, and destruction. When we do this, it advances the gospel, and it is going to limit the judgment. Not everybody will bite into what we have to say. Not everyone will believe and repent and follow after Jesus. But our role as the church, our role as the people of God, 
is to live as faithful witnesses every single day of our lives. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to the way he lived. Faithful to what he accomplished. Faithful to what he calls us to do. Always testifying that he is God. That he is our rescuer, our redeemer, and our savior. And that all of our life should be caught up in that message. So my simple question is this today, because at the Tree Church, we always think about even just one. Who is the one person that we're caring for and that we are trying to have conversations with and call to life in Christ? Who is that one person? Because for every person that decides to follow Jesus, that's one less person who will be destroyed at the end times. That's one less person who will be destroyed by their own sin and their own uh, path, uh, sinful behaviors and, and, and the, the consequences of those behaviors. And so for us, our calling is to, to consistently and faithfully model who Jesus is and his love for us and, and, and faithfully represent him to those around us. So who is that person or those people that you're caring for? And who are those people that you're calling to Jesus? As you take and think about this today or this week as you're, you're processing through all that was talked about today, I pray that God would give you opportunities to, um, to, to be faithful witnesses to who Jesus is. And if you need anything at all, if you have any questions or have any insights about what we talked about today, if you have any, any thoughts as to what we talked about today, I would love to hear them. Please email me at info at the tree church or at cread at the tree church. And, and I will get back with you as best I'm, as soon as I'm able to answer any questions you may have. Guys, I, I'm really glad that you're, you're continuing to join me in this Bible study, even though things are changing a little bit. And I'm really looking forward to um, getting towards chapter 19, 20, and 21, and 22. I, I think they're some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. I'm really excited. But first, we're, we're going to finish off chapter 11. We're going to be getting into... Um, where we start to look at some different versions of evil and we start to look at some different ways of, of thinking about and the personifications of evil that we're going to see in 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. So, or 12, 13, and, and, uh, and, and how that plays into 14. So, all right, guys, um, we're just going to keep plugging away at this. Uh, I'll release this sometime soon, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Be watching for that episode to air uh, sometime later next week. All right, thanks for joining, and hope you have a great day.